Tuesday fell on Sunday, and so we had something a little unusual. We had the Literations Artful Aid, and uh, New Year's Day has fallen on Sunday, and so I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, I'm going to be reminiscing uh, somewhat as part of the swan song. My text is Philippians 4, very well known, either four or five words. Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. And my subject is joy, Christian joy. Those of you who have exceptional memories, uh, better than mine, because I didn't look at my records, may recall that on the 31st of December 2000, in the morning, I was here and I preached on Philippians 4 verse 4. I asked three questions of the text. What are we to do? We are to rejoice. How are we to do it? We are to do rejoice in Christ. When are we to do it? Always. And it was only by accident that I discovered that we had looked at this verse in Philippians 11 years ago. This is not a rehash. It's something I've been thinking of for uh, some few weeks. I've been constrained to think about Christian joy and to ask myself again, how much do I really know about it? How much do I experience Christian joy? How much do I reveal it to others? For although it's been a recurring theme in my ministry over the years, I'm still aware of my deficiencies in this area. In Philippians 4 and verse 4, the word rejoice may be defined as to feel or to express great joy or happiness. And that is what I want to focus on. Joy. Great joy. The Bible contains well over 120 verses with the word joy in them. And then, of course, there are other verses with joyful and joyous and glad and so on. In his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis wrote, For many years, joy, as he defined it, was not only absent, but forgotten. Joy not only absent, but forgotten. Next week, we're going to think about bigoted Christians, but what about miserable Christians? Are there such things? Isn't it a contradiction in terms? Again, he wrote, the authentic joy had vanished from my life so completely that not even the memory of the desire for it remained. Forgotten. And then he says, there arose at once, almost like heartbreak, the memory of joy itself. The knowledge that I had once 
had what I had lacked for years. That I was returning from exile and distant lands to my own country. Do you know anything about that? Do you remember the joy when you were first born again? When you began to read God's word, not just with your mind, but with your heart. And when the Spirit of God witnessed with your spirit that you were his child. And you're full of joy. To have it again, says Lewis, was the supreme and only important object of desire. If by God's help I stir someone to remember joy and to seek joy and to know joy as I'm going to outline it. In 1968, Dr. Lloyd-Jones was taken ill and terminated a long ministry at Westminster Chapel in London. On Friday nights, he was preaching through the Epistle to the Romans, and he had come to chapter 14 and verse 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And after a long convalescence in October of 1968, he came back to his beloved fraternal of ministers. And this is what he told us. He said, I believe that God stopped me in Romans 14 verse 17 because I had more to learn about joy. I had dealt with the practical matters of meat and drink and righteousness and peace and I'd experienced that peace through surgery and through hospital and through convalescence but I had learned to learn more about joy during the six months he told us he had visited churches where ministers belonging to the fraternal were the pastors with one exception and he said as he went to the churches it was obvious that the men had done their work they had done their preparation but the overwhelming impression was an absence of joy needless to say it featured largely in his ministry over the next 12 years but what he shared with us and the text that he brought to us made a profound impression upon me and on the back burner over the years since 1968 have been the words not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and particularly joy in the Holy Ghost. Years later, at a fraternal where we took turns in opening up a subject for discussion and mutual benefit, 
I spoke on joy. On the previous occasion, I had spoken on grief, and it had led to a number of men sharing with us griefs that they had known and we had not known. One told us of a wife that he lost. Another told us of a son that he lost aged 12, who was a very bright boy and full of promise, and people spoke of him as a future prime minister. It was a very special, though serious and solemn time as we shared together about grief. But having spoken on grief, I felt that it was only right that the next time I spoke, I should speak on joy. Pastor Billy Patterson was in the chair. And after I had spoken briefly, highlighting a few verses, he prayed and the meeting was open. One older pastor told me later, I thought we were going into heaven. Instead, I was subject to such a barrage of questions and counter-suggestions that when the meeting entered, uh, ended and we came home, uh, Pastor Patterson wasn't driving at the time and he came home with me. As we got into the car, he looked at me and he said, Are you all right? Are you all right? I'd had such a barrage. And I looked at him and I said, yes, Bill, I'm all right. Because what I said was scriptural and it was in the right spirit. You see, there were men who were so afraid of the spurious and of extremes and of excesses that it affected their views and their judgment with regard to joy. We're all a little bit hesitant about joy, aren't we? Christian joy. Biblical joy. And again, the experience has remained with me. It must be 20, 25 years since. And then in 2006, in the December magazine or prayer diary of the Whitcliffe Bible translators, there was a little item, a contribution that I've kept in my diary since 2006. A contribution by a missionary called Moira Perrin, Cameroons. Joy to the world. This is what it says. How's your joy? asked an old crippled woman outside her mud hut on Christmas Eve. I was stunned. I had never heard such a greeting. Good people, that's G-U-D, not G-O-O-D, good people always say, how's your tiredness? How's the cold? Even if you don't look tired and you're sweating, they always ask with great sincerity and you answer equally seriously better tiredness and cold nights are very real when you have no extra clothes she had three stones for a fireplace two pots a ladle a knife 
a goat's skin to sleep on, and a couple of stones for visitors to sit on. Nothing more. I who had so much, how was my joy? I took my Bible up into the hills to spend the evening thinking about it. I bring you good news of great joy. That was her Christmas present to me, and I like to reopen it each year. I was moved this morning when Jo confessed that she had been humbled as never before. How often are we humbled before God? How often are we humbled by the testimony of those who do not have what we have? She had three stones for a fireplace, two pots, a ladle, a knife, a goatskin to sleep on, and a couple of stones for visitors to sit on. Nothing more. And yet she asked, how is your joy? Have you noticed Waterstone's advertisement on the billboards this year? Joy, oh joy, a gift they will open again and again. And if you don't know what Waterstone's is, it's a bookshop. Rejoice in the Lord always. Some of us are old enough to remember when we were told we must praise God for everything. No exceptions, you must praise God for everything. But we cannot, we cannot praise God for murder or for rape or for brutality. Oh, it may be that we come to praise God for what he has done in and in spite of certain things. And we cannot rejoice always in our circumstances and in our conditions or in the condition or circumstances of loved ones and of friends. But our rejoicing is to be in the Lord and it is to be in the Lord always. We are benefiting enormously from an exposition of Ezekiel in the morning and we've been told about the dangers of idolatry and putting things and others in the place that belongs to God alone. And we must not do that in our rejoicing. We can rejoice in many good and beautiful things. But ultimately our rejoicing must be in the Lord. Over the years, certain verses have meant much to me in this particular matter. Some in the congregation may remember a series on Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's true naturally, isn't it? 
When we're happy, we feel we can face the world. We can do anything, we can take on anyone. And when we're full of the joy of the Lord, we are able to do things that we can't possibly do when we cast down and we are despondent. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know that, don't you? And then Psalm 51, to which I have turned so often through the years. And David's recognition that in spite of his terrible sins, he had not lost his salvation. But he had lost the joy of it. And so his prayer to God was, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then, then, will I teach transgressors their ways, and sinners will be converted unto you. We're always trying to think of new ways to evangelize. And that's a responsibility that we have. But there is nothing like a radiant, joyful Christian or a radiant local church to testify to the grace and mercy of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy can be restored. We've already touched upon the supper discourse. And there in chapter 15 and verse uh, 11, the Lord Jesus talks about his joy and the disciples' joy. And I'd like you to just contrast it with what we found in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, we're told concerning the Lord Jesus that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And I can't tell you how often that has helped me and how often I have used it to help others. When others have been low, when others have been grieving, when others have been bereaved, I have been able to assure them and reassure them on the authority of God's word that the Lord Jesus knows. For he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Ah, but also he says that he wants his joy to be in the disciples and their joy to be full. The Supper Discourse has quite a lot to say about joy in chapter 16. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have asked, not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy 
will be complete. The Lord Jesus was going to the cross and to the tomb. The disciples couldn't grasp it or understand it. They couldn't grasp the fact that he was going to rise again. But he did. And they saw him again. And they rejoiced. And then, of course, as I've already mentioned, Romans 14 and verse 17. There was a time if you were not always speaking about the Holy Spirit, you were dead. But there were also those who, if you did start speaking about the Holy Spirit, said that you were raving. I believe that the scripture teaches joy in the Holy Spirit. Perhaps a better text as a swan song would have been 2 Corinthians 3 and verse, uh, uh, not 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Finally, brethren, farewell. But this subject of joy has been on my heart. I'll be honest that it was on my heart because I was due to speak early in December at Hinckley. And I was going to start with this quotation from the Wycliffe Bible Translators, Joy to the World. And so it's been on my mind uh, since then. I'm nearly done. Another verse that has often come to my mind over the years Remember the Apostle Peter was writing to those who were suffering uh, persecution. And this is what he said in his first epistle. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, there has been some debate at times as to whether this joy is present joy or future joy, joy in heaven. But surely as Peter wrote to the persecuted Christians, their love for Christ was present. Their belief in him was present. Their receiving of salvation was present. And so in the context I'm persuaded that the joy that he was speaking of was not simply and merely and only future. That would have been encouraging, that would have been inspiring to know that after this life there was to be a life of joy inexpressible and full of glory. But I believe in the context we could argue that it is possible for us here and now. But talking of future joy brings me to the final verse I want to share with you. And it's in Hebrews in chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him 
who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The joy that was set before him, the joy of gathering and presenting before the Father all that the Father had given to him, not losing any. The joy of bringing his bride without spot or blemish or any such thing, bringing his bride before his father was such a great thing to the Lord Jesus that he endured the cross and despised the shame. Here surely we're on holy ground. We're called to consider him, the Lord Jesus, so that we will not grow weary or lose heart. For the joy that was set before him, not the power, not the position, not the popularity, the joy. And this joy is not hail fellow well met, slap me on the back, keep rejoicing brother kind of joy. This is not something to be opened once a year. It's profound beyond words. It strengthens. It restores. It liberates. It is God-given. It is Christ-like. He shares it with us, desiring us to know it in full measure, complete, overflowing. I close with a practical tip and an exhortation as 2012 opens before us. The secret of joy, quite simple. Jesus first, others next, and yourself last. So often we get the order wrong. Wouldn't surprise me if you've heard in Christmas games over the last week or so, Oh, me first, me first! No, no. Not if you are to know biblical Christian joy. Jesus first. Others next. Yourself last. And the exhortation is rejoice in the Lord always. We're going to sing together rejoice believer in the Lord who makes your cause his own. The hope that's built upon his word shall not be overthrown.